1: And from Golden Black Illustrated, he is our metal-loving Boilermaker coverer, (laughs) Tom Deanhart is with us. Hello, Tommy D. John,
0: listening to some crocus today, thought about you, buddy. Were you going
1: Midnight Maniac? Yeah,
0: Ballroom Blitz and Midnight
1: Maniac. Oh, yeah, I forgot they did Ballroom Blitz as a cover, too, of the sweet hit from the 70s. Midnight Maniac, he's a killer at large, right, I believe, the lyrics (laughs) here. Do I get that correct?
0: Yeah, you got a good memory. The first concert I saw at Market Square Arena was summer of '83, uh, Foghat and Crocus. Oh man,
1: that? Foghat and Crocus. I wasn't too far off. I was November of November of '83, right? November of '83, and that was Nazareth and Quiet Riot. Well, I saw So, kind of the same. That's kind of the same right there. Sounds like yeah, they had yeah. what we know as classic rock bands going out with the up and coming hard yeah. rock bands, right? That's kind of what we got going on there. Pass the baton. Boy, I love going to MSA. No, oh, there was hey, nothing I- better. I mean, especially for me, where I'm from, like Hillbilly Land, and I love it, by the <laughs> way. I was in there yesterday. going, Going up, you know, going up and walking up the ramps. Uh, to oh, get to the man. main entrance, there was nothing better. There was, that was freedom right there. That felt so good.
0: It was just a weird building. Remember, there's a road you could drive under MSA, yeah. if I remember right. Yes, yeah, you could. Elevators up. And, and we used to see racer games there. But, yeah, the concerts, boy, in 1984, Van Halen and Iron Maiden, ACDC, Ozzy and Motley Crue, just a lot of good memories for about a three-year period there in the mid to late eight, mid to, Early to mid-80s.
1: I even—I rode a bus up from Eastern once to see the Christian rock band Petra.
0: Petra? I heard Stryper. Striper.
1: Remember Striper? Yeah, oh, yeah, Striper. Yeah, I, I saw Petra. I don't think—Petra <laughs> Petra might like—Petra's uh, like the gin blossoms of Christian rock, I think.
0: Oh. So, hey, you know, speaking of yes. uh, your, your home turf, you're, you're not going to believe this. Last week, I took a drive all the way down to Boonville, Indiana, my nice. friend.
1: No, oh, because yeah, cause yeah. there's a there's a football player from Boonville that you cover often.
0: <laughs> yeah, covered, uh, I talked to Devin Mockaby. Uh, I got a big story coming out on him later, but nice little town, and uh, all, all the way down I sixty nine. I never driven all the way down I sixty nine, so for me, it was a new experience.
1: There, it's it's funny. I remember when I was growing up, my mom was best friends of the wife uh, of the head coach of Boonville at the time. And this is going back to the very early eighties. And I believe in Winslow, Indiana, I don't know if this is still the case or not, but for a long period of time, if you ever watched on discovery channel, the deadliest catch, you know, where they're catching the crabs and stuff. One, one of the Hillstrand brothers, not Jonathan, but the other Hillstrand brother lived in Winslow, had a ranch in Winslow, Indiana. So there are two brothers that ran a ship, and I think they're still on it today. I just don't know if he lives there still today, but he lived down in uh, Winslow, Indiana. But uh, hey. true story, Boonville, nothing wrong with uh, Boonville and the pride of Warwick County down there where you were. And you got to hit the redneck Audubon so what you drive like 170 yeah. miles an hour because nobody cares. <laughs>
0: It was nice. Uh, Devin told us to stop by a place called the Tasty Freeze in Boonville, where everybody goes. <laughs> you know, you, you can just
1: close your eyes. He gave you the melon. Ideas. He gave you the Melon Camp tour of Warwick County, right there, huh? Oh, yeah. the Tasty he's Freeze. He's a big. He's a big drag racer, John. Him, him and his uncle and his
0: dad. They 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 like mustangs, and they hop them up and take them to drag strips in Southern Indiana and of Kentucky. <laughs> so he's got he's got a sweet ride. He just bought from some place in Dalton, Georgia, and he had it. He's got a lot hopped up. So, you know, he's he's right in that Southern Indian culture as far as the muscle cars go. I,
1: I'm guessing that maybe before last year there wasn't a lot of of care if he got behind the wheel of one of those muscle cars. There may be more, more care of him doing that this year. Is that fair to say?
0: Yeah, and I asked him how fast he goes. He just sort of smiled at me and goes, I can't tell you that.
1: They probably care a little bit more now than they did maybe at this time last year about that. Tom Deanhart of Golden Black Illustrated is with us. Um, Tell me how – see, I said this a little bit earlier about Purdue. And, you know, Zach Eady comes back. I want you to get fully into that. But my thought is that the regular season, then the Big Ten regular season, and then the Big Ten tournament, it doesn't matter – but it does to Boilermaker fans because ultimately you got to put yourself in that position. And hopefully for them, it's a similar position in the NCAA tournament because all that is going to be expected. To run rough shot through their schedule next year is going to be expected. And then you really have to clock in for the NCAA tournament. And that sounds unfair, but is that not just how people, Boilermaker fans, will view this team this year?
0: Yeah, I mean, I always think of the phrase, too much is given, much is expected, right? And This is a Purdue team that gets the National Player of the Year back. And and uh, coming off that Big Ten championship season, the tournament championship, a number one seed in the NCAA tournament, yes, there was the belly flop in the big dance, but still, um, expectations will be through the roof. And you're like me, John. You're probably already peaking at some of those way, way too early preseason college basketball top 25 and produce easily a top five team maybe where I would look so far and um, yeah, expectations is going to be through the roof the pressure is going to be high but I, I think it's what you want isn't it if, if you think you're a big-time program
1: yeah clearly there was clearly nobody on the fence right with this team that you know would come back or or for example would leave if they knew Zach would return but would stay if he announced he was going to the NBA. None of those guys. The, 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 I think you know, the one guy
0: there was there was some thought that maybe he would leave if Edie came back was was Trey Kaufman ran, but I don't think that's the case anymore. So, you know, Brandon Newman obviously hit the portal, but uh, you know the roster's pretty much intact, and they're adding. You remember one of your uh, current town's best, and Miles Colvin coming up here, and they got a kid coming off a redshirt named Camden Heidi who is sort of a similar style as Colvin, who they think is going to add even more athletic ability to the wing
1: for Purdue next year. Tom Diethard of Golden Black Illustrated. Can you just, he's still jumping the transfer portal now.
0: I'm not sure what the window is for basketball. If it's open, or not? Um, yeah, so I, I need to check and see exactly what, what, what the window situation is for basketball.
1: Do, do you know why um, Zach Eady? I mean, he, he could have decided, you know, a day prior, you know, whatever, a couple of days prior. Do you know exactly why the timing was right for him there and then ultimately what he found out to lead him back to West Lafayette?
0: I was, I was talking to some people today who I think should have some idea, and, and this thing was truly up in the air. Into um, the, the the witching hour, so to speak, of the of, of May thirty first, and it sounds like his agent Bartlstein wanted some guarantee from some team that Zach was going to get picked. Uh, if that would have, if, if they would have heard that from some team,
1: and that's first and second round, or just first round,
0: first, first and second round. Also, wow. they wanted some plan of development as well. And then that would have given them more, uh, more stuff to weigh and consider in their decision. For, and it sounds like they didn't even get that assurance from any NBA team that he would be picked in first or second round. So um, obviously things became a little more easier and there's, there's more clarity for Zach. And, and you know, he worked out very late in this process with Oklahoma City. Someone told me he, he worked out as, as late as yesterday or the day before with Milwaukee. So, uh, people were kicking the tires all the way up to the, the final final hours of this thing with Zach Eadie. And, again, it sounds like, if I'm to believe what I was told, there was no team willing to guarantee Eadie's agent that, yeah, we would pick him and here's how we would develop him. So, again, I made it, I think, easier for Zach to come back to Purdue for his senior year.
1: So, obviously, the college player of the year is coming back. Tom Deanhart joins us, by the way, on the Andy Moore Automotive Group line do you think that there will be some adjustments made offensively for Zach to be able to show some of the things that they that he hopes to build in his offensive repertoire that people either, A, don't believe he can do or certainly we have not seen, B, him be able to do or do at all to this point? Yeah,
0: I think there's already been some talk about him maybe playing away from the basket a little bit more, uh, maybe facing up a little bit. Um we'll see if those plans come to fruition. Everybody has plans, then when you get the heat the battle, a lot of times you fall back to what you're comfortable with and what is what, what you're successful. So yeah, I do think there are some plans for Zach to hopefully expand his game, uh, from being more than just a back of the basket type of a player. we could work a little bit of pick and roll. So uh I'm sure there's there there's already there already have been schemes in place by the by the Purdue staff, um, to put those in uh, into, into motion. And also remember this too, John, like I said, that this team should hopefully be better than last year's team. Remember there there was quite a bit of youth on that squad. The backcourt were the two, two freshmen, right? Lawyer and Braden Smith. And I think those two guys probably hold the key more so than anybody. Their ability to take that proverbial next step in their development, especially as shooters, I think, and scores are going to be key because as you and everybody saw their inability to hit three pointers, was their death knell last March, and they got those two guys in particular have to be better, and also the athletic ability I talked about, Miles Colvin and Camden Heidi, and and remember this too, John, they got one year of your Missouri Valley players to transfer, yeah, man, kid named Lance Jones from SIU, so uh, he's more of an athletic defender guy, not a real dynamic scorer, but again, just another athletic body that they they think can really help ratchet up that defense on the perimeter for
1: him. It's um. Tom Deanhart at Golden Black Illustrated on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. What to me, I didn't think there was much question, but you're certainly more closer to it. You certainly have the the pulse of it. Was there a lot of question in West Lafayette as to whether or not Edie would return?
0: I think all along it was a. It seemed to be like a fifty fifty proposition for for a long time. I think the sentiment was, yeah, he is going to return. And then the last week or so, there seemed to be a little bit of a, of a thought that, yeah, there's a real possibility he could go. Um, so all along, there, there was just a lot of unknowns, whoever you talked to about what Edie was going to do. So, uh, again, here we are. And um, like I said, it's going to be interesting to see how he how can develop his game, if he can get better. Because, John, let's be honest with ourselves. I, don't you wonder how much how much more he can really do?
1: Well, yes, and, here's, here's, and there's no doubt, Tom. I hate, I don't want to interrupt you. I want you to have as much time to explain this as you can. But I wanted to add this so you can further explain the fact we saw Trace Jackson Davis, who yeah. we knew that he needed to expand his game offensively, but. You end up going with what you know. You end up going with what is highly productive. And I think you're going to see something similar with Edie. If he can score down low all the time, then why not score down low all the time? I just don't know how much room there is for improvement that you need to show that is adequate to change a lot of his stock coming out of of his his season next year. You agree?
0: Yeah, I I don't think his stock can really get much better. I mean, how how much hotter can he? Can he be than he is right now? I mean, national player of the year, consensus, national player of the year of the Big Ten champ of number one seed. He's not going to suddenly become a lottery pick next year, probably even a first-round pick at any level next year. I think the hope for Purdue is that he can replicate what he did last year or come close to it. Just playing that same style. Again, the key for Purdue is going to be the other players I talked about for their ability to take that next step particularly, like I said, his shooters uh, in that backcourt between Braden Smith and then Foster Lawyer in particular. So those are going to be the real keys. If those guys are hitting shots if, 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 from the perimeter, hitting threes, I mean, just think how much more effective he's going to be, right?
1: Yeah. Well, there's no doubt about that. I just I don't know how he's ever going to be able to, quote, showcase anything because yeah. you're so good at what you do anyway that's so good for the team. I don't know when they're gonna have time to do that. Do you remember a time when again the consensus college player of the year gets to <laughs> defend that title the year after? When's the last time we saw that?
0: I think somebody I mean this may not be right. This is going way back. Someone I think today said Ralph Sampson? Do we that have might to go be that it. Far back? That I mean, might that be it. it. Remember he came back for his senior year and just shocked everybody. And uh, may I I need to look that up and see for sure. So yeah. It's just rare to see a player um, uh, of these accolades come back and play four years. And it's funny, John, I was looking, talking about expectations, right? Um, Purdue's probably going to be at least a preseason top three team. Kansas is probably going to be number one. Purdue's probably going to be two or three. And I looked up the last time Purdue was ranked that high in the preseason. You remember this. You are probably still in high school, um, maybe dipping a little bit of skull back then, right? <laughs>
1: Well, everybody else did. Everybody else did. A uh, my friends were doing Hawking. That was like the wussy. The wussy hawking. chewing tobacco back then, yeah. But
0: yeah, it was 1987 88. It was, that, it was that Troy Lewis, you know, Everett Stevens, Todd Mitchell senior year team. They they began the AP, and the AP pulled number three in America. And uh, they finished number, I think, number two or three in America that year. And of course, that was a team that disappointed as well by losing. To Kansas State in the Sweet 16. But still, you have to go back that far to find the last time Purdue was ranked you know, preseason that high. And like I said, it's going to be a fun, fun winter in West Lafayette for these fans to watch Z- eating and see if Purdue can, can finally get that monkey off. It's back in March, too. You know,
1: what's funny about that, I, I would almost disagree a little bit with that. I don't think it's going to be fun until they get into March and exercise those demons. I don't think the fan base is going yeah. to have a lot of fun, even if it is an elite level of winning, Tom.
0: They're going to they're going critique every little thing. A win's not going to be good enough, John. It's going to have to be an impressive win. You, you know how that goes, right? Everything is going to be you know, dissected and, and, and sparsed apart and analyzed to death. And, again, a win's not just going to be a win. It's got to be an impressive win. There's going to be a lot of fretting over over details like that, I think.
1: Now I got a friend named Greg that says that Sheboy was the player of the year last year, and he came back.
0: There you go. Okay, but he didn't win it. And I guess what, what,
1: what, he gets the- well, I mean, you said consensus, and I know that's where you're going with Ralph Sampson because I think that's what he was. But no, that is, um, you know, whenever you think something's like 25, 35 years ago, it was always like last year.
0: Yeah, the so yeah, way that it goes. So. Sometimes the reason he gets right by my eyeballs a lot of. Well,
1: time my, my guy, sure. my guy Greg's on top of stuff for me here, so I I, <laughs> I do uh, firmly believe that. All right, uh, Golden Black Illustrated, Tommy D. Yes, sir. Like I
0: said, it's uh it's gonna be fun uh fun summer and the fall we'll be here before we know it with football
1: cranking up here shortly too, buddy. You got it. Always a pleasure, my man. We'll talk again soon. Take care, John. Bye bye. <laughs>
2: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time
1: greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Mitch Hannes joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Podline. All right, Mitch, with all that, you got laser focus going on right now, right? It's laser focus, right? Um,
2: I wish, JMB. <laughs> I think it would have been easier to be on the road.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I want to get into that in a second. I'm going to loosen it up a little bit because I was asked by a mutual friend of ours how many Tony Hill stories you can come up with in about five minutes of time. How many you got loaded up?
2: I couldn't even begin to start. I I, I couldn't even begin that one, JMB.
1: <laughs> well, we're mu- mutual friends of T Hill. T Hill. Is one of my all-time favorites, right there. So I believe you guys were together, right at, at Lincoln Trail. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yes. For about three years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you three years of Tony Hill. did you know a lot. <laughs> 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 yeah probably too much yeah that's awesome right there but uh when um when you were on last time he, he reached out to me and said hey uh, i was a lincoln trail with mitch and had a, a a great deal to say about you and kind of knew where you were going at that time and there you are right now at indiana state so a quick shout out to uh tony hill by the way he was uh, living down in nashville and living it up as you normally do so you, he was never he, he was never quiet much was he it was always some chatter going on correct
2: he had a lot of opinions,
1: J&B. <laughs> And This is true. So we play pickup basketball back in the nineties, and and the head coach at Eastern Green at the time was Mark Barnheiser, and Tony was an assistant. And we get morning pickup games going, and this is Tony Hill shooting. By the way, would shoot and yell "money" as the shot was going toward the rim, money, and it would always miss. Always. Like, I, he'd yell money and it was a brick every time. So, I I thought, man, maybe you should stop yelling money, all right? <laughs> maybe something well, different it, would happen.
2: By the time he got to me, he was yelling
0: off.
1: <laughs> so... I love the Tony Hill stuff. Um, I did want to start here, and you alluded to this at the outset of the conversation, your laser focus, how often can that be taken away because of all that plays a role in Terre Haute and Bob Warren Field hosting a baseball regional? Uh, Is there a lot of juggling going on at this present time?
2: Uh, There is, but I, I think the big thing is we've been able to pretty much Shelter our team from it. They they've pretty much had an ordinary schedule. The thing that's the, the thing that's been great to see is obviously at all schools our size, with limited human resources, so many people have stepped up and are juggling as well. And so we have a lot of people jumping into cracks and and helping out with things. So it's been great to see. And obviously, when you know a lot of this stuff, they ask for our for our director of baseball operations contact and things like that as we're getting ready for NCAA. and. We said, wait, we don't have one. We don't have a director of baseball operations. Uh, we just have a volunteer. So there, there are a lot of positions that we lack. but a lot of people are really stepping up and, and making this thing go.
1: I'm excited because I can't imagine there's a community, a regional host, that's as excited to to make good and to have a good time this weekend as Terre Haute is. Is that true?
2: Yeah, it's it's been it's been absolutely crazy. I I forget the amount of time, the exact amount of time that it took Game One to sell out, um, and they went right from selling out Game One to planning the tailgate. So it's it's going to be nuts over here. But the people. Our our fans have been starving for something like this, so it's been really awesome to see.
1: Mitch Hannes, the head coach of the Sycamores, they get Wright State in their first game, one o'clock coming up tomorrow over in in Terre Haute. You mentioned that you've done a great job, your staff, and you, of shielding your players from all that goes on in hosting a regional. How difficult is it to be reminded of, of, of your players that, hey, this has been a great season, but it is far from over what, what do you do to make sure that they're as laser focused as you're trying to be right now
2: well I, you know we've we've still been practicing and those type of things and you 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 look in their eyes and look at the way they're going about their stuff they're they're really locked in i mean they are by no means satisfied they understand as much as we do this, this time of year you're, you're one good start away from really putting yourself behind the eight ball so uh, I think the guys understand that the the margin for error gets smaller. And that's something we, we talk about all the time. We're starting to, we're going to play with the championship plate. Things are just going to be tighter. They're going to be faster and the margins are going to be smaller. And we've been through this, we've been through this, and we feel like we've got enough guys that have been through it that understand what we're talking about. And we talk about it all fall. You get to this point and it, you just got to be better. I mean, I'm, I'm one of those people that believe big players step up in big moments. You, you don't talk about, Hey, we got to keep doing the same thing. We got to stay on. We can't, we got to hit another gear. And if we don't hit another gear, we'll go home.
1: Hey, Mitch, was it a good thing? Now it's in the rear view and you guys won the Mo Valley that Evansville rattled the cage a little bit in that first game.
2: Great. It helped us a ton, helped us a ton. Um, if I don't call a series of bad pitches, we may not get rattled. That game is probably over. Um, but we had a few calls there late that I kicked myself on, and, and uh, they ended up hitting the Grand Slam to win the game. But I, I said afterwards, and, and, you know, you don't know how your team's going to respond. They know they're in the tournament, but there was a lot of pride to make sure they didn't lose the tournament. And that was great to see. I, You don't know those things as a coach, a parent. You, you just don't know how your kids are going to react in certain situations, and I was really proud of the way they reacted to that.
1: Well, and I'm going to give people out there a bit of an example that, that maybe they have seen. I mean, it is. it could be a similar situation to what happened to Miami in a Game 6 in the NBA Eastern Conference Finals of, of having your cage rattled and then having to come back. And as you guys did, leave no doubt. Because that's what you mentioned. You didn't know how they were going to respond in that second game after Evansville did that with that Grand Slam. But not only did they respond, but they left no doubt in that follow-up.
2: Yeah, and the the other great thing to see is we, we had made the decision. A lot of times when the tournament is do or die for you, you bring back pitchers, maybe on two days rest, maybe Evansville actually brought a couple guys back on one day rest that threw in that game because it's all hands on deck. We made the decision that we are not bringing any of our guys back in the tournament. So the guys that threw in that last game had not thrown yet, and they were down in the pecking order about seven or eight, on our pitching staff, and were phenomenal. They were absolutely phenomenal in that game.
1: What's that build for your team when, you know, really from top to bottom, whether you're talking about your lineup card or those just on your roster in general, when they can be called upon in the biggest moment of the season at that point to come through in a way and then they do? What's that tell you about where your program is right now?
2: Well, it's it, it, it tells you that there's been a lot of growth. It, it tells you from the time I was thinking back to, to just the other day, to 2014 when we started, we fought to get Vanderbilt on the schedule. And I remember going down in the midweek game to play Vanderbilt because I wanted our guys to tell you what the, the top felt like uh, in college baseball. And obviously Vanderbilt won it all that year in 14. But we're playing a midweek down there, and Walker Bueller is throwing for Vanderbilt in his first pitch of the game on the scoreboard. We had a kid named Trent Lunsford, a true walk-on freshman, left-handed with braces. His first pitch was 82. And I'll never forget the look in the dugout as to how in the world are we going to survive and hold our own. And and I I think we've touched that layer enough that our guys aren't intimidated any longer. And it took a while. But for the longest time, they respected a uniform and what was on the front of it. And it took a long time to get our program to a point that we don't really look at that. We look at ourselves and we go out and compete against ourselves. And we try to play the best damn baseball game we can play that day.
1: you got to have a lot of dudes with, and this is commonplace now and I, I guess we don't really know how it's defined, but we know what it is when we see it. And clearly you see it on your roster. You have a lot of guys with a lot of dog in them, don't you?
2: Yeah, we do. We do, and they're fun to watch. They're, they're fighters.
1: It's, uh, Mitch Han is the head coach of Indiana State, underway tomorrow at 1 o'clock versus Wright State. What did you think about the draw when it came out? Because you know we were talking a couple of weeks ago, and there was this excitement brewing about the possibility of, of getting that regional. So, I mean, you guys had, had known that you had the regional, but what did you think about when you got the draw?
2: Well, you know, if you, you listen to the, the experts, they tell you we got a tough draw. I, I don't know. Obviously, you, when we play, we'll find out. I know Wright State is very, very good. They took Virginia Tech to the mat last year in Virginia Tech's regional. Um, that's a tough four draw, really tough. Iowa's very good. Uh, tough two draw, probably one of the top two seeds. And North Carolina is probably the top three seed in the tournament. So it, it's not an easy draw. But... This time of year, it doesn't really matter. If you if you play poorly, you're going home. And if you continue to play, I mean, you're talking about maintaining a level of play and raising that for a two-, three-week period here. And, and if you can do that, it doesn't matter who's in the other dugout.
1: I guess you may not know this until you experience this, but how much of a home field advantage, I guess if at all, with the teams you were just talking about that could end up being your opposition, how much of a home field advantage do you expect?
2: Well, you know, in the conference tournament, the first game our place was packed and I'm telling you, our guys, I I didn't know them. They, they didn't know what to do. We, we did not play real well that first night.
1: That UIC was that the UIC game? Yes. Yeah.
2: Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, but as the weekend wore on that electricity became something in our dugout that changed things early on our guys were just they, i mean they're used to playing in front of a hundred or 200 people and and uh, those are parents or family friends right and it's 30 35 degrees out there so it's been quite a change to have those stands filled and i and not only are they filled the the place has been loud the folks have been into it
1: nah that's awesome I cannot wait until tomorrow, 1 o'clock. It's Indiana State and Wright State, 7 o'clock tomorrow evening. It is Iowa and North Carolina. Did they have to modify Bob Warren Stadium at all? We
2: we put uh, three sections of
1: bleachers down the left
2: field line, and I believe they were saying that that brought capacity to about
1: 2,300. Wow. Now – where the uh, well, I don't even want to ask because you're concentrating on baseball. I'll ask somebody else that some other time about where all you guys are with tickets. But that um, that is quite an event, right there. That really is. That uh, I, I want to say, man, you got to be really proud of your guys because I know that you are. But you don't want to, you know, end any any sentence in the form of a question with anything that could be relatable to a finality here because there's still a lot of work to be done
2: there there is and and you've probably heard like a lot of folks you know now we're going to change the rpi now we're going to adjust things because it's it's not working um so i think and that's that's something we've talked to our club about too i mean obviously the the someone asked me about the chip on our shoulder i said you know the, the chip has been on the shoulder at indiana state forever it, it never left a little success doesn't knock the chip off it's
1: No, you're right. It's, it's Indiana state. It's, it's Terre Haute as well. I mean, I I thought about the same thing with Terre Haute as being a, you know, a regional host there and uh, you know, being from Indiana state, I know exactly what you're talking about, but coach, you would know this so much better than any of us. Sometimes you hear even the most accomplished, the skilled of athletes say without that proverbial chip on the shoulder, you know, you, you sometimes you don't have a lot. Sometimes that's necessary to reach, you know, that competitive fever pitch. I guess what you're looking for right now. So, you know, maybe you get to add to it, even though you guys are the host.
2: Well, uh, ab- absolutely, absolutely. I, I think that's a huge advantage, and, and and that's probably as you and I are talking and really getting to the heart of it. it, it probably, really, what you're asking is, have, have our guys changed throughout all of this? Are they still dogs? Do they still have the chip on their shoulder? Do they still understand what's in play, what's out in front of them? And they, as much as anybody, understand that they're five wins from Omaha.
1: Yeah, and I, I, to me, that's why I asked you a little bit earlier about Evansville in that first game for the, the championship of the Missouri Valley. Is I, I think we found out a lot about them. I I, I don't think there's anything wrong with you, you seeing that A and then B – these guys also seeing that that this is how easily you can be tripped up in this so i, I just thought i thought that that was a and I, I hate to say this you know learning experience or whatever in a loss that sounds defeatist but it's not I, I thought with that game and the way that they responded with the whole leave no doubt mentality i thought that that was a growth point for the future and a growth point for where you are right now in the present
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you're in that moment, you're just very thankful that that's not the way your season ended, that that Grand Slam.
1: No doubt about that. Mitch is the head coach of Indiana State, close personal friend of Tony Hill, and uh, he's going to guide those Sycamores coming up tomorrow, 1 o'clock, against Wright State. Of course, Terre Haute hosting the uh, regional over there. Uh, we're going to be following it like crazy. Um, the best of luck. Go out and get them, and uh, we'll get you back on. We are rooting hard for you, Coach, coming up tomorrow.
2: Yeah, I, I appreciate it, buddy. Appreciate you got, it very much.
1: You got it, Mitch. Thank you. So Mike Chappell of CBS Four and Fox fifty nine on the Andy Moore Automotive
3: Group pilot Hello, Mike. How you doing? I'm great. How are things going you know, for you? I remember with all this talk of Indiana State when I first went to the star back in early eighties. I did some stuff with IU ISU baseball and Bob Warren. Nice, really good guy. I thought they made the College World Series back then. Maybe I'm wrong. That's been I believe, I believe
1: I believe they did. I'd have to look this up too. Was that yeah, the team? Were
3: a, they were a, they were a badass.
1: Was that when Zane Smith? Team. Remember the left-hander Zane Smith? Was he on that team?
3: I think so, yeah. but again, it's forty years ago, and I don't know what what's going on. But I just remember how good they were with Bob Warren, and I Tom James could tell us and retweet it. But I thought they made the. World Series one year, I, I just it sticks in my mind they did that. I thought it, it was, was Zane
1: Zane Smith, notably um, had really good years in Atlanta as a left-handed starter. And uh, I believe was a part of the the Pirates. I believe I think J- Zane Smith played on the Pirates in the wire-to-wire Red season when the Reds beat the Pirates in the uh, NLCS. I think Zane Smith yeah. was on that staff of Jim yeah. Leland as well. But yeah, Zane Smith was their their big player, their big arm on that team. I believe
3: it's just great. It's great to see these these state universities doing this and playing well and getting attention. And I'm telling you, anyone who takes Time to rip on Terre Haute for being something that it's not. It's it's just lame. Terre Haute's what it is. It, 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 it's a nice city. We we were there a lot during Colts camp, and you know it, it's just it's it's kind of what Twitter is now. It gives people a a forum to rip something just for the hell of it, which is unwarranted.
1: Love Terre Haute. I've always said this. This has been more about attending Indiana State, and this was more with regard, Mike, to those that attended Indiana State and then left and went someplace else because they said, "quote, there wasn't anything to do." I always said that's because you're a dork. I mean, there's plenty to do. That's your fault.
3: <laughs> Whenever we were, you know, the, the years we were at Rose Holman for training camp. I there were several years I stayed in Terre Haute, and I stayed at the at the time it was the Larry Bird Hotel. Oh yeah, uh, Larry Bird Boston the- connection. Yeah, it was nothing great, but it was you know, it's got his picture. all this is pretty cool. But it, it's what you make of it. I remember work going to Ball State all those years, and and people ripping on Muncie. And it, it's what it is. I mean, if you want Chicago, go to Chicago. Uh, it, it was a, it was a nice college town. And I, again, I, it's just crazy that people need. To take 30 seconds to rip on something just for the heck of it.
1: No, oh, it's, it's, it's much like a lot of things that we just have to get used to. And I was talking about this earlier on Twitter. Sometimes I end up going to the, um, you know, a follow from following to for you, and there's nothing less for me than the for you category on my Twitter, which is normally just a big toilet of stupidity, <laughs> uh, the for you. But it's, it's like anything. I talk about college basketball and how unrecognizable, you know, NIL, Transfer Portal, is now how unrecognizable a lot of these processes are. And then, Mike, we're going down and cruising down the path where – how we get our NFL games at some point in the not-so-distant future is going to be unrecognizable to the long-term past as well.
3: And, and, and it's because money, and I understand that you're, you're doing things, you're in the business to make money, and the owners are in it to make money. But at some point, keep, keep your fan base in mind that one can't afford to go, seldom can go to one game during the season, let alone – buy a season ticket and maybe they can't really afford to have these other avenues you're going to have, whether it's Amazon or Peacock or, you know, whatever, keep in mind who really is, is a hardcore of your base. And the more, the more times they exclude those guys uh, that large group of people, they're only hurting themselves long-term. And I, I wish they, I wish one time, when when, when they had the option to go exclusive to one, you know, venue, and they do it because it's a zillion dollars. I, I just wish they could say no. Let's do it for less. We're gonna, we're going to make this available. I, I I don't like where it's going, and for anyone to think it's going to get go back the way it was, where everything's on on the regular. Uh, avenues to watch things, they're crazy. It's going to get scarcer and scarcer.
1: What do you think the timetable is? I mean, they're, they're doing a lot of test patterns here. We've certainly seen it. Uh, we know the influence Amazon is having, and there are probably going to be some ways and means in which you get or can get NFL content down the road that we're unaware of right now. What do you think the timetable might be?
3: Five years, ten years. I don't know. It's coming because because money talks if I'm not mistaken, in the last couple of years, weren't some of the Thursday night games NFL Network. And and you needed, you know, I used to have NFL Network on AT&T. And that went away. So it, it, it's it's coming. And if you don't have, you know, if you're not one of the smart guys who, who can find things on your laptop or pirate or whatever, you're not going to have total access to these these games. And that's why I always go back to like when training Cam gets here it's so invaluable to building, reinforcing your brand because fans for no price can go out and spend two hours. And, and then afterwards, these, these players spend time chumming with you and, 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 and giving you autographs. And that's how you build your fan base. You, it's not by selling more and getting more money and, and restricting and, and, and eliminating some of your fans. So, five or ten years just because, well, you know, the 18-game season, that's coming just because. It's more money. And I understand the chase for money. I understand that. But just don't lose sight of the hardcore fan base and don't continue to eliminate a portion of it chasing chasing more millions and millions of dollars. So Mike Chappell of CBS4 and
1: Fox 59 joins us. Again, another uh, round of OTAs coming up. I'm curious, your thoughts and at some point, it was time for the Colts to get serious, to get real about wide receiver. You and I are still on the fence whether or not they're completely serious. But even though you have a lot of fans suggesting, and even some media members, Michael Pittman Jr. is far from a number one. He's more like a number two. What would he have to prove to get paid number one type of money? And uh, is he a guy that they're going to maintain in general anyway, with an extension at some point? Just because he's a wide receiver and one of their own, how do all these variables play in the future as far as Michael Pittman Jr. and the dollar figure for an extension is concerned?
3: Well, he's not going to. Have to he, there's a good chance he has to prove nothing for an extension if he gets it before a training camp. He, he's already done all of his proving. And are they going to let him go into a? his unrestricted year next year, unsigned, or normally they get these things done now with he and in and, and Jonathan Taylor. And the, the, the problem that they're ha- if it's a problem, the issue with, with Michael Pittman, and I agree, I don't think he's a one. I think he's a two. I do. And if that's a slap in the face, I'm I'm sorry. I just, I don't think he's the kind of guy right now, that, that you, you can see as a, as a sure number one, and that's not. I think he's a really, really good player. I think he was in, impeded last year by that dysfunctional passing game. But the, the issue is, do, do, do you do you knowing what what he is, do you extend him at I don't know twenty million? I saw Pro Football Focus at at a projected extension at like twenty three million dollars a year. Man, I, I I just I don't see these guys doing that at that at that level, but that might be what he demands on the open market. So, how do you? And you're always going to overpay. You're going to overpay to keep your own. But how much are you willing to overpay? I, I just think it's it's a dynamic where they've got a good group of receivers, young receivers, and how committed are you to maintaining that group and it's going to cost you. It's going to cost him when, when it comes time to re-sign uh, Alec Pierce if, if he emerges like like you hope he does. I mean, that, that's why you draft these guys high. Is you think they're pretty good players, and then when they are, you got you got to re-up them. Same with Jonathan Taylor. I think I saw his what was his projection was it like fifteen million a year. So it's it's it, it's really awkward when you're talking about re-upping a receiver who's your best receiver, but are you willing to, to, to pay really what market is? And a little above market because you got to resign And We've seen a couple of teams, Baltimore and, and Tennessee, said, no, we're not going to do it. We're not getting in there. Well, if you want to casually get rid of Michael Pittman, you, replace him with who? A free agent. They both recognize
1: sense, though, that's not the path to take. Correct. I mean, you can see both. I mean, Tennessee recognized by firing the general manager, and I think Baltimore now realizes by trying to stir it up at the wide receiver position uh, with bringing back Lamar Jackson. So, haven't they both right. noticed that's not the path to take?
3: Well, yeah, and that, that's why you, the Colts are in difficult situation because I think at their core they're saying, no, that's too much money. That's not what we want to do. But, but because of the situation and circumstances, you may need to do that. You've got to keep your Supporting cast of skilled players, strong around the young quarterback. Even Minshew. Let's not. We're not. We just don't throw trash out there with him. So you've got a good core of people. I still think. Again, we agree that they need a real stud receiver. Now, where that whether that's free agency next year, or what I don't know. But I, I like the, the group as it is. But they need more. How much are they willing to pay to keep it? I I would think they need to get one of these guys done this year. And then you can irritate the other guy because he's not done. But that's that's how the NFL is. You've got to do it on, on the team's time because they've got the hammer. And I'm really curious if they get one done or both done and which one do they prioritize. I don't know. Taylor is a better player, but he's a running back. and And teams have gotten by without – elite running backs you know he rushes for 1800 yards a franchise record two years ago and they don't make playoffs so you can argue then then how valuable is he well it wasn't his fault he he carried that team but uh, i just i'm really curious how they how they look at these two positions moving forward when you get good young talent the blueprint is keep them well then you get into money and it's a tougher debate
1: Mike Chapel of CBS 4 and Fox 59 on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. We didn't really ask this with the first batch of OTAs, but what exactly, besides the quarterback and, and that particular evolution, hopefully uh, it better be, to a week one starter, what, what else are you looking for as, as far as what you want to see and, and what most interests you about June NFL practice here in Indy?
3: Well, I generally look at this time of year is who's practicing and who's not practicing. Because these, the offenses should look pretty good in OTAs because it's scripted that way. There's, there's little contact. There's nudging. So the, the passing game should look really good. The running game should look really good. I'm curious about who's practicing who's not. JT's not practicing. He had the ankle surgery. So that was expected. Shaq Leonard's not practicing. And I'm a little concerned, a little we had our podcast yesterday on Fox 59, and my buddy Dave Griffiths, he, he went DEFCON 1, and I understand it when they say theres he's making progress at no timeline. Well, I would like to think there was a timeline. I, I, I'm kind of reserve, resigned to the fact we won't see Shaq in OTAs, even in minicamp, but holy smokes, he needs to be ready to go, I think, by training camp, or th- then the level of concern really goes up We're six and a half, seven months removed from surgery, and it's obvious, as it should, they are taking their time, and they're they're really being cautious on his rehab, because everyone says, and they're agreed, that he rushed back too quickly last year, last summer. But I would think after seven or eight months, whatever whatever the time would be, in, in, in late July, August, that... He should be doing something. I, I, if not, I just then why would you expect him ready when the season starts? And I don't mean to be an alarmist, but at some point, I mean, you got to know where he is and what you expect. And I know this is killing him. I know it is. Uh, that's why he came back too soon last year, because he's the ultra-competitor. But you're talking about it back. You're talking about discs and nerves. And the first one didn't work obviously. So I, I was kind of hoping from the optimistic side that he would do something in OTAs. I don't think that's going to happen. Come training camp, if he's not ready or if he's on pop, I, I, I'm really concerned. And I just am.
1: I just wonder because I mean, I, I go back to the Chris conversation that I had with Chris Ballard and you guys did as well back in February, into February, early March at the Combine. And I know that the NFL and everybody's big on secrets, but in this case, I think it would be more logical. I'm not suggesting put a timeline on it, but if you felt good about his return, feel good about it and tell people around <laughs> here how good you feel. So it was it was a bit throwing cold water on it when I asked him, and his response was, well, I'm not betting against Shaquille Leonard.
3: That didn't sound but good was, to me at all. That was in That was in February, too. Yeah. And here we are, you know, with, with, with June, and it, it, the the longer it goes with him not practicing, and I'm so, I'm saying day after day after day practicing, you're concerned. And, and, and anytime you don't get much from the team, I, I understand the team, they don't want to give. Well, we expect him by training camp, and then whoever, any player, and this is then stand out there. We say, well, you, you see, I said training camp. Well, you know, th- things you know, kind of transpire on their own timeline. But this, with any player, ACL, Patella, whatever, there's generally, well, you know, it's it's six to eight months and we think you should at least be practicing by such and such a time. With this one, it's different. It's a back. But the longer there's no, I hate to say definitive timeline because things do change. But as long as there's not a, more more specifics on, on what we're looking at. He, you know, he could be working his. Ass, I'm sure he is working his ass off during the week to, to do what he needs to do, and we don't see that. So everything we're, we're talking about is we don't have all the information. But the longer teams, not just the Colts, but teams, don't give you specifics, then speculation comes up. So it's it's really a it's, it's a hard dynamic. But the longer it goes, just because basically he didn't play last year. I mean three games and seventy some snaps and and it was obvious to everybody including himself that he wasn't ready. Well, so he having not played since since 2021, you got to be concerned and, and with with fans and certainly those
1: that cover it. Like like you and I, it's not just about a return. It's about, all right, what are your expectations here? Is he going to be sure. anywhere near what you thought when you gave him that money in an extension? Is he going to live up to the expectations that everybody felt, or is he just going to be a guy? Is he just coming back and that's it? There are layers to this, more than just his return in general, Mike.
3: No, no question. That's why I say the longer it goes, the more concerned in my mind there is. Uh, you know, and, and maybe if he's back, if, if he's back physically 100%, maybe he's ready to play, but but he's not that guy yet for whatever reason. You know, with a lot of injuries, it's a year after you come back. Now, again, all injuries are different, but you're right. I mean, is he going to be just a guy or is he going to be, you know, the takeaway guy and the tackles and, and plays that make a difference? You don't know, and you're not going to know until until you see with your own eyes. Again, is that September, October? I don't know. So it, it, the longer we don't see the, 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 the baby steps, the practice time, then, then the concern grows. And it, it, if that irritates Shaq, I'm sorry, but it, it's, it's a, whether it's him or JT or anybody else, you'd have these concerns because we've gone through this with players who had these lingering injuries, and yes. they didn't come back. you know. I'm not going to mention names, but
1: we've been through this. The largest scale of disappointment, and not just one of those side-swiping for the moment, like large-scale still digging out of disappointment with that. <laughs> exactly. So you've got you've got some charbroiled feelings around here in terms of that.
3: Yeah, and so he's catching the, the, the flag still from that because this franchise has been burned, and I realize we're, we're talking different situations but and the one thing I say is again I think this is I think shaq's pushing this as hard as he as he can as hard as the rehab guys will let him but you know the, the, he's not at least as of last week now maybe he's out there this week practicing I don't know because we'll, we get to see him tomorrow but I doubt it and I understand that but uh, but in, until we see with our own eyes him practicing not and we're not even getting from the coaching staff. You know, he's working his tail off. If you guys could see him out there in the indoor facility during the week, you'd have a different – well, we don't get even that. So in the absence of any information, your, your concern, your anxiety increases, and it will increase in my mind until we see him practicing.
1: It's a Mike Chappell of CBS 4 and Fox 59 is going to be watching for player participation. So,
3: and again, if we get past him, yeah. you like to see Josh Downs out there, uh, Jelani Woods, Will Mallory. I like seeing, you know, Braden Smith out there. But it, it, this is the time of year that, that that if a player has anything that's bothering them, a tight hamstring, whatever, they don't practice. I don't understand that. But the guys I mentioned, th- th- these are going to be major players. You know, Juju Brands is not going to practice. And he's missing valuable time because we all think he's got a chance, a strong chance, of starting. In September, so this is an important time for rookies for everybody. So that's what I'm more seeing—not as much what they do on the field, although it is fun watching Richardson throw because he's got a gun. But it's really getting these the, the younger guys out there incorporated, ready to go as much as they can before they take the break in the middle of June.
1: Yeah, and uh, let the quarterback be ready for week number one. And I'll say this: um, Yeah, you know, I I look at this this schedule and everybody said, hey, what a snoozer of a schedule. That's boring. I it It is something to where this, well, this team can be competitive. I would expect them to be competitive with that. Even outside what we don't know about the quarterback or what's unexpected about Anthony Richardson, this team should be able to compete game after game with that schedule, which I think could make it interesting. It could make it incredibly disappointing, but it also
3: could be interesting if you look at it that way. They should have won seven or eight games last year with yeah. all the chaos, with all with all the junk that went and then on. And Jeff Saturday would still be here. Well, that's another argument. <laughs> true. But you look at this and yeah. it's funny what the draft Jim Mercy talked about. Well, I had a long talk with Marvin Harrison, and you know what that was about. Why are you talking about Marvin Jr.? I think this team <laughs> has a really good chance of winning too many games to worry about Marvin Jr., unless you trade up. Marvin Jr. is going to go top five, Higher if he wasn't a receiver. Uh, so, yeah, I I think they're going to be better record-wise than a lot. Of, I, I think I saw the line. Was it five and a half is what the over-under is? I, I think, think so, maybe. yeah, five and a half. Boy, if I were betting and, you know, I, I'd take the over just because the schedule, you know, the Rams and you know, the NFC South, you know, you play in the NFC South and the NFC South, that's two pretty good divisions to play. So of course, Houston's thinking the same thing. Hey, we got the Colts twice. So it, it does go, it does <laughs> that's go what they way. all think.
1: Yes, I know. Exactly. Man, it, it is a uh, it, it is a sad state of affairs with the Colts or the easy marks.
3: Well, I know, and and that's where and that's where Richardson and the supporting cast they need within a year. That had that not be the case. Yeah, that I agree. people are concerned about you, and if if he's that good, and he can be good early. That could very well be the case. And we won't know until September, October.
1: He is Mike Chapel, CBS 4 and Fox 59's. Got you covered for OTAs and more. You can read his stuff and every Thursday at 5 o'clock. He's right here on the show on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline Have a fantastic weekend. Stay in the AC. Going to be a little toasty out there, a little sweaty. I, I'm on my
3: porch now, and there's a hot breeze. I'm going back inside. I barely have a shirt on
1: right now. I'm not going to have a shirt on the entire weekend. I'm ready.
3: It's, it's going to be in the 90s, and, you know, just deal with it. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. I, I tell you, I, I, I did put my snow shovel away. Yeah, good for so you. <laughs> it's in the garage. I, I, I think we're safe. Good thought. Thanks, Mike.